Welcome to Indrani Slight Foundation's Caring for the Caregivers podcast. This is episode 29. In this episode, Indrani invited a special guest, Mark Silver, to talk through a very difficult experience Indrani just went through with a person who recently challenged her own truth during a conversation about domestic violence. Mark Silver is a well-known business coach and practicing Sufi who has served over 4,000 clients in the past 18 years using the true belief in heart-centered businesses. He is the CEO of The Heart of Business and serves people who desire to do good work in the world. Indrani and Mark will discuss how we can respond to someone with compassion and love when they are challenging our truth right to our face. How do we bypass gaslighting? And how do we face oppression and tyranny? It can be painful and it can be stressful to face these confrontational situations. So listen to these two wise mentors and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good night, good day, good everything, wherever you are. And looking at this wonderful podcast or maybe just listening to it. I am here with my dear, dear friend, Mark Silva. And if you could see me, I'm touching my heart because there was a time in my life when I didn't know Mark and I didn't know how much I was missing. And uh, Mark is, um, Mark is a practicing Sufi. Mark is a spiritual leader. The name of Mark's business is the heart of business, which tells you everything. He is not doing or teaching anything that is not good for society, not good for us, not good for his people, not good for our clients. And um, I learned so much from him every time he sends out a newsletter. I wish I had more time to do his work, um, but I don't. And I know he forgives me. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me tell you, good people, why I asked Mark to be on, and he so graciously said yes. I was at a very fancy event a few weeks ago, and I was told that there was a man there who was, um, I forget exactly what adjective was used, uh, esteemed and renowned and you know, intellectual, and I heard he was a teacher, and he was a teacher in India, and I thought, oh, good, and he was at a university, and I was so grateful to be able to talk to him, and I just asked a simple question. Can you tell me what your university is doing for, to, to stop or to help women who are being violated? And he said, Souls have no gender. We do not believe in violence against women. Uh, and it, I, I was so shocked. I, I went in with a big open heart and I was expecting that he would say, or oh, tell me about your work. Or he would say, well, we don't have a program, but you know, maybe it's something we should look at. I was not expecting the theory. I was not expecting the philosophy. Then he went on to say, 
<laughs> something about, you know, it's, it, it just feels so mind boggling that the soul is infinite and, and there's infinite, um, I don't even remember the words. I'm just, just so upset. Anyway, I put it out on Facebook and Mark said, where there's infinite, there's infinite compassion. And I thought, oh, Mark, please come on. We'll talk about this. And so here we are. And Mark had some great responses for me. And I wished I had those responses available in the moment. But suffice to say, that I think that happens a lot in our lives. And Mark, would you speak to us about how to stand on a board that's shifting and rocking? We know we're standing on truth. I know I'm standing on, on truth of ending violence to women, but being smacked over the head, how do I drop my center of gravity, stay on the board, and speak, speak with compassion. I, there were lots of things I could have said to him. Lots of things I chose to not say. <laughs> and I chose to not say those things for two reasons. I wanted to respect the host of the, the house and I wanted to respect myself. <laughs> and so I just got up and I said, I'm done. We're out. So uh, Mark, bring us in. <laughs> Inshallah. Um, Rahim. First of all, thank you very much. Oh, just first of all, I, I, I want to just um, send a, a blessing and a supplication for all of those who are doing this work in this world of trying to make the world a better place and trying to face oppression and tyranny um, in all of its forms. And those who have had to face um, gaslighting and spiritual bypassing in all the ways it's, um, it's, it's so, it's so painful. And it's our duty always to, you know, to, to stand up and to express the, the presence of the divine through our actions in the world. So, you know, one of the things that I think is important is uh, in having compassion for ourselves and facing these kinds of situations is that it takes a lot of practice to be able to handle stressful or confrontational situations. Because the thing about these kinds of situations, and I, I'm, I'm sure you know this, I'm not saying anything you don't know, uh, is, that, um, is that we don't expect them. Like you said, you weren't expecting them. Like it's pretty, it's like to expect them means that you're, you know, either you have a known, a person that you know is you're in um, uh, controversy with or in struggle with, or you're happy, having to live in hypervigilance, which is, you know, not very fun. <laughs> um, and so before talking about the kind of response, I just wanted to mention, I have a background in emergency response. I was a paramedic for years. I worked in 911 um, for years in a busy system. And, you know, there's, a, there's something about going from not doing anything to suddenly being involved in a lot of chaos and, and stress. Um, and the only thing that really helps, or one of the things that helps the most is, is training right? It's like if you have, um, 
if you know like, okay, there's some very, these kinds of responses, these kinds of situations that come up in the world, like the one that you described, there's a, there's a limited number of them. I don't mean that they don't, they happen in limited numbers. They happen in, in you know, an infinite number of times, but in terms of variety, they're very boring. You know, there's only a, it's like, there's only a set number of things that people tend to tend to do. You know, there's the spiritual bypassing response. There's the, you know, the FU or the, you know, the confrontational response, you know, there's a, and so if there's just a few set responses, um, you can come up with in advance saying, you know what, the kind of work I do is going to bring up controversy. It's going to probably bring up confrontation. I'm going to name the two or three or four most common responses. And sometimes this happens after the fact, after you flub it or, you know, or you have had a hard situation. It's like, okay, so what am I, you, and then in naming those, you can practice them. You know, maybe once a month, you just set up a 10 minute time where you just kind of repeat the answer. You know, it's like, building up body memories so that your training instincts take over rather than just feeling kind of like the deer in headlights, which, which often happen. And especially when you're doing gender-based work, when women are doing this kind of work who so often have been trained not to be confrontational, it can be so hard to overcome that. I mean, it's, it's hard for me as a white man living in the U.S., you know, sometimes to rise into those situations. If you've been kind of continually reinforced to not do that, it's going to be even harder. So I, I wanted to just bring in the, the compassion and the mercy and the love of saying, okay, you know, you, you shouldn't automatically know how to deal with these things. And by identifying those those places where it's going to happen or those the common responses, you can come up with some set responses and practice them, not a lot, but just enough so that they're at hand. Um, uh, Mark, when, that uh, makes so much sense. And, and I'll tell you why it makes sense immediately to me. One of the first set of classes I taught, there was a woman in there and her, she was divorced, but her, her parents and her in-laws refused to accept that she was divorced, if you can believe mm. that. And they would call from India and they would talk to her as if she was still married and ask all the questions that you would ask of a married woman. Did you cook his food? Did you do this? Did you do that? And every week she came, she came to class. She said, they asked the same questions again. I, I, you know, I explained the same things again. And we came up with a script. It was a short script. And she had to she had to copy the words and she had to paste them on post-it notes all over her house. And she had to especially keep it by the telephone. And every time they asked a question, she said the same four lines. And she said, but they're different questions. And I said, yes, but we only have one answer. <laughs> and, I love that. And it took them about four months before they stopped asking and then they just stopped. And, and now I had never done that before. I didn't know if it was going to work, but it seemed to me that this woman was going to lose her head and, and she had little children to take care of and it worked. So you're right. You're right. If we can come up with a set of frequently asked stupid questions <laughs> and come up with a set of 
beautifully grounded responses that are self-respecting, I think you're right. That's the only way forward. It's, it's, you know, it just takes so much. I mean, I'm so happy to hear that story. I knew that it wasn't going to be new for you. <laughs> you're, um, you know, this, things are hard enough, you know, it's a, one of the, one of the things that I like to teach to my students is don't try to do too difficult two new difficult things at the same time, right? And so facing a confrontational emotional situation, difficult, right? Come up with an answer to a complex question, difficult. It's like if we can remove one of those, then we can put our full creativity to staying present in the face of confrontation um, and, and not be somewhat absent trying to figure out what the heck is, what the heck am I going to say? And, um, you know, and this and this works at so many different levels, just because it allows us to be heart present, which is also what can often make a difference. Like if somebody can be met with true heart connection, if it's safe, and I don't mean um, giving over your power. Like I, you know, we should talk about love and compassion as well. But I, and because uh, a lot of times those get interpreted in um, painfully shallow ways. Um, but I, I want to say that um, uh, that kind of sincere connection that is based, founded on power, you know, like a divine power, a power of love and compassion, but strength and power can sometimes have an, like a, an instantly kind of healing, altering effect on someone else. You know, if they're open to it, if it's the right moment for them, you, they can like, and suddenly see like, oh my God, I've been seeing the world completely, you know, in a false way. And this illusion is now lifted. And it's, um, one of my teachers taught this really amazing um, piece around saying no to people. And it was about how um, a lot of times because we don't feel the strength of the divine in us, we don't often have ourselves grounded in a place of strength, that when we say no, out of self-preservation, it's a no that's like this. It's like turning away, protecting, which is totally understandable in so many situations. Um, and I'm not talking about physically unsafe. I mean, emotional right, situations. Right. If we're physically unsafe, you get out, you know. Right, exactly. Don't say no, Bottom just line. run. Just run. But if it's like an emotional situation and you're needing to set a boundary or say no to someone, there's a, there's a, um, the, the saying in Islam, um, la ilaha illallah, which is like, no, there's nothing but the divine. There's no God but God. It starts with this emphatic no to illusion, but it's not turning your heart away. If you can be saying yes to the divine and the divine is the one saying no, you're not having to necessarily close your heart to the person while you're saying no. And this, it <laughs> takes practice, um, but it's a, it's, it, it, it can be such a healing um, presence uh, without losing any sense of power, without feeling like you're giving up yourself in order to connect in a loving way. Mark, so you just brought up three things, and I want to make sure that we, we go back. You said, let's talk about love, compassion, and power, and then you talked about saying no. So before I forget the power piece, 
you just put on Facebook about spiritual power. So I'd like to bring spiritual power and tie it in with the love and compassion. And the saying no piece, that is a very huge piece of the curriculum that we teach. And just really, really quickly, when we teach someone to say no to someone else, we ask them, what is it that they are saying yes to to themselves? <laughs> that is the work of William Urey, and it's really powerful. And we do, a, we do a simple thing. If someone asks a working mom to provide four dozen brownies uh, tonight for the thing tomorrow, and she says, well, I cannot do the homemade brownies. I can give you the money. I can go to the bakery. And the teacher keeps saying, no, 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 I want the homemade brownies. She has to know, is she saying yes to, I need to get my own project done. I need to, to run. I need to do yoga. She needs to understand the time that she would be investing in the brownies is the time that she was taking away from herself I mean, to right. provide for her child to go to that school. Right. And when people get that, it's just, it's phenomenal because they first say no, they first say, yes, I'm saying yes to this. And you're, and I, and I always teach smile when you say the no, it really, <laughs> throws, it really throws people off their game. Thank you for asking me that. Yes, I do make the best brownies in all the land and I will bring you bakery brownies. <laughs> there's, no other, um, there's no other way to say no, but just say it with a smile. But just sliding back into the power, spiritual power, love and compassion. Can you give, can you give us a way to tie that in knowing that a lot of people who listen to our podcast are victims of violence, whether it's physical or emotional, financial, religious violence. You know, if, if you don't believe what I believe, then you are a nothing and get out of the house. Um, there's so much violence going around. There's so, so much violence. So much. <clears throat> yeah. So from a Sufi point of view, the understanding that I have and the experience that I have is that um, everything comes from the oneness. And I want to say that um, as, a, um, as a Sufi teacher and as a, um, as a, as a Muslim, as a Muslim Jew, <laughs> which is a funny thing, but um, that's another story. Um, uh, I, um, you know, when people don't believe in God, because they've had really bad experiences with religion, I want to say that the God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. Um, because uh, the mystical understanding of the divine is that it's not a personified, anthropomorphized thing. Like there's not a beard in the sky. You know, it's, there's, there's the oneness and the source of love from which we are not separate. And our experience of separateness is just a veil of... Um, on our journey of return to knowing that we're all one. And so I don't need anybody to believe what I believe or to understand what I understand. I just want people to understand where I'm coming from when I say the divine. I mean this, um, the wellspring of love that we all, that I believe we all come from and we all return to and we all are connected by. And um, and so these these there are essential qualities that are kind of the building blocks of um, the physical reality. So 
there are, I don't mean to get too esoteric, but I just briefly, when we think about things like compassion and love and mercy and strength and wisdom and friendship and gentleness and power, like these are considered from a Sufi point of view, uh, divine qualities. They're not things that we manufacture on our own. The human being uh, is a vessel. The, the, um, uh, the analogy that I sometimes use is I'm sitting here and I've got my video light over there, which is, you know, important when showing up on camera, video lights, hi, video light. Um, and it's very powerful light. It's like, it, it, it's light, like, uh, like, uh, you know, that ri not rivals the sun because, but you know, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a broad spectrum bulb. It lights up the room. It's, it's fantastic. And if it's not plugged in and turned on, the room is dark. There's nothing, but the but all the structures there to carry the power and to and to uh, transmit the light as it comes in. I understand the human being to be very similar to that, right? To be a vessel that um, we can have a beautiful glass as well. Although this is a mason jar, which is also beautiful, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know it carries um, liquid. But uh, I don't get nourished if the if it's empty, whereas I can be nourished beautifully if it's full. And so, these divine qualities, like compassion and love, are infinite. They are powerful. They change everything, and we receive them and express them, but we don't manufacture them. And for heart-centered people, for people who care, there's a lot of divine qualities that we've had bad experiences with because other human beings have distorted them. They've distorted the quality of power. They've distort, distorted the expression. You can't distort the essential nature of it, but ex distort the, the, um, uh, the, the, the divine qual quality of power or the divine quality of um, sovereignty or these different types of qualities. And so people who care would then naturally shy away because we wouldn't want to reproduce it. We wouldn't want to do that to another human being. But one of the things that I really want those of us who care, those of us who are heart-centered, who are trying to make for a better world, to lean into the discomfort of, oh, you know, I've seen a lot of ways that power is distorted. But if we can lean into that and say, okay, what's the true nature of power? What is divine power? How, what are ways that I express power in my life already, right? I, you know, you, every time you turn on a light switch, every time you stand up and walk across the room, every time you take a breath, you're expressing an innate power that's in your being. And you can see that hmm, we can receive power from a place of surrender, from a place of humility, from a place of being in service. And that makes a huge difference in how power is then expressed once we're filled with it in our hearts. Mark, um, yes, 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 only yes. And as you were speaking, I began to wonder about when a person is abused, during active abuse, it feels like one is powerless. However, I think 
the power that we still have within us is not less. It's more if we survive mm-hmm. that episode, right? Mm-hmm. So if I survive a particularly heinous physical attack, to tell myself that I was powerless in the moment is to take away what I did to keep myself still in this world. Mm, I mean. and, and as I recover, to remind myself, if I could use that much power in such a heinous situation, what would it look like to use that power of survival in other ways? Yeah. You know, it never occurred to me about power and that until you just spoke. That, mm. that is a new thought that I had. I, I too was thinking powerless, but just like you said, it's, it's in the vessel. So it's never less and it's yeah. never more. It's either full or it's not full. Right. It's not gone or, or there. It's always there. And the not full is actually an illusion, right? Because we're just not perceiving it or, or you know, we're having trouble accessing it or witnessing it in that moment. Yeah. And I also really am leaning into your compassion and your expertise, Indrani, because, um, you know, like I, I have... I have some experience with PTSD, both personally and with people I know, but I am not an expert in what you're an expert in around these things. And so if I say something stupid or ignorant or that really misses, you know, you know, the people who are in these kinds of situations, um, you know, I, I'm leaning into your, uh, uh, you know, correction, you know, I'm happy to be corrected because, um, you know, one of the things that I try to do with our community, because sometimes people are in our, you know, have come to us um, at Heart of Business wanting to build their business. And they, you know, people have trauma. So many people in our culture have have trauma from all kinds of things, often from abuse. And um, I always tell them that if you have abuse, um, you know, like re- like real trauma, not just emotional upset, but real trauma, that you often need some kind of physical somatic based healing work that you need professional support that just doing spiritual exercises is not really going to clear that out of the physical body. And um, uh, because I don't hold myself up as a trauma expert in any way. And, um, and this actually brings us back to that original comment from that person. And I don't, you know, if there was a thread, I don't, I don't want to take you away from any threads you wanted to follow, but I just, you know, like the physical body, uh, the, this physical world is so important. The divine, from my perspective, the divine created this creation with a lot of holiness and a lot of sacredness. It's important. We don't just transcend the physical. The physical, in, in Sufism, it's said that we are trying to see, yes, we are trying to see the unity and the multiplicity, but also the multiplicity and the unity. There's, a, there's an interweaving of all of this, and it's too complex for, um, for the human mind you know, it's like the miracle of the divine is well beyond the human mind to really encompass it. And so 
when we are in physical form, it is so important for us to honor that physical form. The divine has made many genders, right? The divine has made um, many ways for the human being to exist. The, you know, in my tradition, the Abrahamic traditions, as well as in other traditions, the divine has forbidden murder. And it is said that if you murder someone, it is as if you have murdered the entire human race. And so we can't use... Um, uh, the illusion, it's like there's a, there's a, um, a litany in, in uh, the Sufi tradition that, is, um, uh, that says, you know, please save me from the illusion of metaphorical unity, which is what this person that you had, um, you know, was, re was referencing, this metaphorical unity, which is not a true unity. You know, it says like, you know, well, you know, well, the, the soul has no gender. That's true. That's true. And we are, as human beings, gendered. And if it wasn't important to the divine, the murder wouldn't have been made wrong. Um, you know, violence wouldn't have been made wrong. I, th there's, a, there's a very beautiful story um, uh, that I heard, uh, in, again, in, uh, in Islam, is that the, the Prophet um, Muhammad peace and blessings be upon him. He had one son who died in infancy and his, um, and he mourned this son terribly. He grieved him terribly. And his people asked him, you know, you've, you can see what happens when people die. You can see how they pass on into the afterlife and how they're cared for. Why are you mourning your son? And he was crying. I'm going to cry. <laughs> <clears throat> because I miss him terribly. And this was such a deep teaching about how we need to care for our bodies. Uh, it, there's very deep teachings in all the spiritual paths I know of, of to, that we need to feed the hungry. We need to clothe and house the poor. We need to protect the undefended and the weak. You know, there's this, there's this drumbeat of take care of each other over and over and over and over again in all the traditions. And it's painful to my heart when people get lost in this idea that spirituality means that we don't pay attention to the physical. It means we care even more deeply for the physical, knowing that it is a deep gift from the divine. When we're given something from the Most High, wouldn't we want to care for it? You know, when we're given something from the Most Low, like, you know, I buy a meal, and this is from a human being, and we are, you know, maybe not high, not low, somewhere in the middle, I am so grateful I am so grateful that someone got up at five o'clock in the morning and went to their restaurant and opened the doors and they have the money to, to pay for the electricity and pay for the food. And I get to go and I, and I say, God, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. And I get to be done in 30 minutes. That is such a gift to me. So how can I not be grateful for the, the temple of the body that that can be honored or can be dishonored when other humans decide that my body is not worth honoring. Mm. 
So, uh, oh my goodness. Allah. Uh, I, um, I know that there is much work to do and, and there's a, there's a, a quote from the Talmud. I, I always mess it up, but I always try not to. And it's like this. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. You are not obligated to complete the work. Neither are you free to ignore it. <sighs> that is what that, those lines are so beautiful. Hmm. And, and in this work, um, many times I, so someone will say to me, so are you making a difference? <laughs> and I think they want data and I think they want me to say, yes, I saved 3 million women. And if one of us is saved, it has to be enough. So as we do the work in the world, if, if two shelters invite us and 40 people arrive, we know that each of those people will touch all the other people in their lives. And we know that this touching goes through generations and I'll never have the data to show what we're doing, but in my heart, I know that we're doing good work. Mm. Mark, thank you for your work. Thank you, thank you. I, I, um, we are right up on like 1240, and I know people don't listen to long podcasts, so I'm going to, to say thank you, and we're going to end. Well, would, you, would you pray us out? Would you mm -hmm. do that for us? Inshallah. Alhamdulillahi min shaitan rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of the one most compassionate, most merciful, most kind. I ask in the name of the one to help all of these holy beloveds to know that their hearts are always cared for, that their every step is guided, and that they need do nothing alone. Help to open the way to reveal the path, to make the signs unmistakable. Help to bring nourishment and care and support in abundance. Help all of those who need the gifts that they've been given to find their way to them without blocks or veils or hesitations. Make their provision and their support and their freedom easy. Ya Allah, help us to be expressions of your generosity and your strength and your freedom and your compassion and your love. Amin, amin. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Caring for the Caregivers podcast. You can visit indranislight.org backslash support and anonymously share your own questions or challenging situations to be answered on the show. You can also sign up for our free caregiver package resources at indranislight.org backslash care package. If you have any questions, you can email our team at info at 
We hope this podcast has been a source of support and comfort to the amazing work you do in the world. And remember, we see you. Thank you.